Uh, we're going to have our Bible reading now. If you'd care to pull out your own Bibles, uh, phones, or whatever it is you use, uh, we're starting at Acts chapter 21, verse 37. Uh, you'll remember that uh, Paul had uh, arrived back in Jerusalem and been promptly arrested. Uh, and this is just the first few steps after that. If you haven't got a Bible, it's up on the reading there. Okay. As, as the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Oh, do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists onto, into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please take me, let me speak to the people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defence. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of the way of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as the high priest and all the council themselves can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring those, these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed all around me. I fell to the ground and I heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but didn't understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that has been assigned, uh, that, has been, that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because... The brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, the God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear his, the words from his mouth. 
You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now what, you are, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptised, wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood giving approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he had said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. Thank you, Rami. Wonderful to see you all uh, this evening on this cool night. That's uh, good, good that you could be with us. To those that are visiting today, uh, wonderful that you're here as well. I hope I get to chat with you later uh, over some cheap eats or something like that. But we are going to come to God's Word. Um, we are going to explore that passage that Rami just read for us. And we're actually going to cover a bit more than that tonight. We're going to look over pretty much into halfway into two, chapter 23. So if you do have God's Word with you, that would be a wonderful thing as we work through it uh, together. Before we do, though, let me pray. Our good and gracious God, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he ushered in the kingdom of God and that you sent your Holy Spirit and people like Paul have gone before us and people like Luke have written down your word and it's come to us today. We pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will bring this to life to us. I pray that my words and the meditations of my heart are pleasing to you and that you build us up into the likeness of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now recently there's been a bit of a, a musical that has taken Australia, apparently the world, by storm. Anyone know the musical I'm referring to? Hamilton, yes. <laughs> High school musical, please. <laughs> but it is good. I'm not a big musical person myself, but I have watched it on Disney. It's very good. Tony Zabak's here. You were saying you watched it 20 times, mate. 20 times. Wow, I must love it. Even Ange has gone to watch in the Lyric Theatre. I think that's all due to Linda's cultural uh, shaping of Ange, which is a good thing. <laughs> but it is good. Anyway, in, in Hamilton, uh, the, the main character, his name is Alexander Hamilton. And it's a musical, so there's lots of songs in there. Uh, but there is one song that kind of stands out above the rest for me. No? Not going to sing with me? Okay. I'm not throwing away my shot. I'm not throwing away my shot, you know? Just like my country. Anyway, it goes on. Um, but <laughs> and that song, it kind of... It happens at the beginning of the, the musical, and then that line, though, I'm not throwing away my shot, it comes up and it kind of pervades the musical. And the, the producers are kind of shaping Hamilton to be this person that makes the most of every opportunity, 
that song kind of typifies him. It's like his mantra as he goes about his business in establishing the new America. He seeks to make the most of every opportunity. I think as we look at the character of Paul, and as we've seen throughout Acts, and as we see in the, in the letters that he writes, he has kind of a very similar kind of attitude, a similar mantra to his life, where he doesn't want to throw away his shot. Now, he's got a different attitude to Hamilton because Paul is about Jesus. He's about proclaiming the kingdom of God, about the message and the lordship of Jesus going out across the world. But that's what he's about. He doesn't want to throw away his shot. He wants to make the most of every opportunity. And that, I think we see that really clearly uh, in this passage today. Before we jump in, though, to reorientate ourselves uh, in Acts, uh, Rami gave a good brief introduction before about uh, Paul has come into Jerusalem. Uh, if you remember two weeks ago, um, Graham did a wonderful job in preaching to us on Acts chapter 21. And the key kind of point of that part of the narrative is the Jewish people are hating on Paul. They've heard about his preaching and he's all about Jesus and they hate that. And they hate it so much, they've grabbed him, they've taken him into the temple and they're beating him like beating him hard, like Paul, uh, Luke says, they're trying to kill him. Like That's the kind of scene we have. Battered blue, he's probably bleeding at this point. The thing that saves him, unusually, is the Romans. The Romans come in, pick him up, carry him out of this mob, and it's in this kind of highly intense, emotive kind of scene that we've picked it up. And it's that kind of moment that Paul, I don't know if he whispers, if he shouts, if he desperately, whatever it is, he calls to the commanders. And he says, may I say something to you? Can I speak to the crowd? Like the people that are hating him, trying to kill him, Paul has compassion on them. Like Jesus, he looks at them as sheep without a shepherd. He, he desperately wants to tell them about the Lord Jesus. And for whatever reason, miraculously, the commander says, okay, that's a good idea. I'll let you do that. And you can imagine now, at this point, Paul, he's on top of the steps, and there's like a guard in front of him, so the people can't get to him. And he gives his defense. Now, what kind of defense do you think that Paul should give here? What kind of apologetic strategy should he follow? What kind of strategy do you think you'd follow in that moment? What Paul decides to do is, in a sense, what he really knows best. He gives his story what we would probably call our testimony. He gives his testimony, and particularly how his testimony fits into the broader narrative and the story of God. And so we're going to look at Paul's testimony, uh, and it covers the first 21 verses of chapter 22. And it's broken into kind of three categories, uh, very similar to a normal testimony, what was going on before he met Jesus, how he met Jesus, and then what's been the response uh, since he met Jesus. And that is the defense that he's going to give. And so he firstly starts with who he was. And you get there, chapter 22, uh, verses 3 through to 5. He basically gets up and says, I'm a Jew. I'm like you guys. I'm, I'm from this uh, city called Sicilia. Um, and I studied under Gamaliel. I was thoroughly trained in the law of the ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as you are today. 
He's so zealous that he persecuted people of the way, that means Christians, um, men and women throwing them into the prison. And he even gets letters from the high priest and council uh, to go to other places, go outside Jerusalem, so he can persecute these Christians, right? This is the character of Paul. Like, he's a, he's a very zealous. He's angry at the Christians. He's saying to these Jews that are hating on him, hey, guys, I was just like you. Like, I'm probably like this guy right in the front here. He's, I'm still wearing his knock on the face. Like, I was like him, hating on people like me. And you know what? I was probably even a bit more intense than you guys because I left Jerusalem. I didn't wait till the Christians just rocked up here. Like, I left to go find the Christians, to bring them back here and punish them. Like, this is the, what, who Paul was before he met Jesus. And then he, he drops this uh, reference to Gamaliel. Gamaliel, we saw him in Acts chapter 5. He's this big, kind of, uh, well, very well-respected Jewish leader. Uh, and Paul claims to be trained and mentored by him. And that's kind of like if you're an aspiring fantasy writer, author, and if you said, hey, I've been trained and I've been mentored by J.K. Rowling, the, the author of Harry Potter. If you heard that, you're like, well, wow, this person's had a good education. Right? You'd probably listen to them. This is all setting up Paul to say, I was one of you guys, and something drastically has changed me. Something incredible must have happened for me to go from there to here, from outside hating Jesus to now being in his family loving him. And that's how his defense starts. I was one of you. He then moves to the second part of his, uh, his story, which is then his encounter with Jesus, what it was like when he met Jesus. Uh, and we get that in Acts chapter uh, Acts, well, 22, starting in verse 6. It says, When he's on the way to Damascus, a bright light from heaven fell around, uh, was around him, and he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice uh, who was speaking to me. Now, that is obviously a quite exceptional, uh, quite uh, unique encounter with the Lord Jesus. Um, uh, he sees the glory of Jesus in the, the middle of the day, and his glory, it seems, brighter than the sun. It blinds him. He falls prostrate to the ground. He's completely overcome by this encounter with the Lord Jesus. And it's pretty incredible because Jesus meets him on, on the road to persecution. He doesn't come with armies or whatever. He just says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And just the glory of Jesus is so much that Paul surrenders to him. He submits to the Lord. We, realize, uh, we read later that he's baptized in his name. And as with every testimony of faith, the key issue going on here is one of allegiance. Allegiance to the Lord Jesus. Because if you look at verse 10, we read that Paul, he calls Jesus Lord, and then later he goes on to be baptized in his name. Paul here is switching allegiances. He's becoming part of one who says Jesus is Lord. Going from one of the great persecutors of the faith to one of the great preachers of the faith. It's like when we become Christians, and for most of us, it's switching allegiances from, from secular age and thinking that we are king to having allegiance to the kingdom of God where Jesus is king. 
That's what it's about. We switch allegiances. And that's the second part of Paul's story. I encountered Jesus and now I unashamedly say that Jesus is Lord. And then Paul, he transitions to the third part of his story, which is the result of that. And then the task that he's been given. Now Jesus says, yeah, continue on to Damascus. You're going to meet someone there. And he meets a really highly respected Jew by the name of Ananias, who is also a follower of Jesus. Uh, Ananias demonstrates the great power of God in healing his eyesight. Uh, And then he gives these instructions in verse uh, 14 to 16. He says, The God of your ancestors has chosen you, so Paul, to know his will and see the righteous one, the righteous one is Jesus, and to hear the words from his mouth. You will be his witnesses, you will be his witness to all the people about what you have seen and heard. What are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, have your sins washed away. Paul is given his allegiance and he's given a task. He's given the task to be a witness, to be a witness to Jesus. Now that's not unique to Paul, that's, that's everybody's task, to be a witness to Jesus. And Paul, though, he has the particular thing of having witnessed physically uh, the Lord Jesus and uh, sets him apart as apostle. But then Jesus comes to him later and gives him a particular calling. Particular vision uh, comes to him in Acts chapter 7, in verse 17, which is basically Jesus comes to him and says, You've got to leave. Paul thinks it's a pretty silly idea. Uh, he wants to say and continue on the work uh, there in Jerusalem. He thinks you'd be pretty compelling. But Jesus is like, Mate, you need to go. You need to get out of here. I know better than you. Uh, and Paul does. He leaves. What's essentially happening here is that. He gets an extension of that task. He's been sent by Jesus, sent to the people away from Jerusalem and Judea. What's happening there is that Jesus knows the heart of God. He is God. He's the Son of God. And he wants all people to know about the kingdom of God, all people to know about Jesus and the love and the grace that is found in him. And he wants to send Paul on that vision, on that mission, That's much bigger than what Paul can see. Now, at that point, the Jews are like, that's it, hard enough. They rise up again, they get angry. Because they don't think that Jesus is one God, and they certainly don't think their God, Yahweh, should be taken to the Gentiles. Which, in fact, is the the opposite, which is a wonderful thing for us. And as much as it it would be really interesting to know uh, what Paul would go on to say, we get a really clear insight of what it looks like for him to give a defense, for him to give his story, his testimony, who he was before Christ, what it meant for him to be confronted and, and see Christ for who he really was and then submit to him as Lord and then be commissioned on his way to be a witness to him. Now, I don't know, but does that strike you as an obvious kind of defense strategy? People are hating on you, would you go, well, here's my, my testimony. Or would it be low on your list of what it means to share the gospel? Now, in some respects, it's a bit of an unhelpful question because there's all sorts of methods to share the gospel. Paul was used heaps throughout Acts. Um, but here, obviously, giving your testimony is a good strategy. So let me ask you, how well do you know your testimony? 
How often do you think about it? Have you you shared it with others before? Now, Paul is able to rattle off his testimony, battered and bruised, and in like a really intense scene with no preparation at all. No time to consider it, no time to construct it. He knows his place in God's God's story. He knows what it means to submit to Jesus as Lord, and he, he shares it. And in the same way, Paul can share his testimony, and it can be a wonderful and good thing. Sharing our testimony with others uh, can also be the same. And it's, it's helpful because in our culture, the one that you and I live in today, and it's been the same for centuries really, is that humans are story-making people. We love to tell stories. We love to be in stories. Uh, we love to hear stories and connect with them. That's part of what it means to be human, it seems. We're naturally inquisitive about stories. We're watching Netflix, whether they're exciting, dumb, boring. We, just, we love to be part of, to understand stories. So we have the opportunity to share our story with the people who love to hear stories. And when we think about our culture, who at least in thought and in pride themselves on the fact that they're tolerant, we can share our story of Jesus, how he has shaped our life and how he has a, a mission across this whole world. It's a fantastic way to not throw away our shot when it comes to sharing about Christ to others. Now, we might not have the incredible theological knowledge of Paul. Probably won't. I certainly don't. We probably don't have that incredible experience that Paul had in encountering Jesus in this crazy bright light getting blind. But every single one of us who's called on the name of the Lord has a very special, unique, beautiful story of what it looks like for you to have counted the Lord Jesus, to know that he loves you, that a father loves you, and be invited into, your, into his family. To repent and have believed in faith is a miracle. It's a beautiful thing and a story worth telling. So can I encourage you, revisit your testimony. Think about it. Don't just let it be a thing you did on your baptism night and then file it away and never care about it again. And workshop your testimony. Like, think about like, what are the bits of your testimony which resonate with you? What is it going to resonate with others? How could you refine it? Think about it so it could uh, be more compelling. Now, that might sound like we want to tell our testimony in a way that's a bit disingenuous, a bit fake or something like that. But the nature of a, story, uh, a testimony is that it's a story. And storytelling is an art. You get better at telling stories as you practice them. So practice the art of telling your story. The content and the truth of your testimony, and particularly your initial conversion, won't change. But the manner and what you draw on and how you say it certainly can. Now, we didn't get the chance to see it in this occasion, but Paul says in other parts of the Bible that you grow. You grow in maturity, and you know when you're in a relationship with God, you have more experiences with Him, more experiences with the Son, with the Father, with the Holy Spirit. And so then that too contributes to your understanding of God and your testimony, your witness to Christ. Now, Elizabeth, my wife, is far better than me when it comes to revisiting her testimony. She actually does it probably once every, every two years or so. That's kind of like a spiritual practice and a discipline. She looks at her testimony and rewrites it and then thinks about what's happened in the last year or so. And it's a really helpful practice uh, that she does and she's more prepared to tell her testimony um, and let it to be authentic in a way that can be compelling to others. Now, I'm very blessed because I get to hear it. 
Now, can I encourage you to share your testimony with others? Share it with your brothers and sisters. Like, it's a wonderful, encouraging thing that we can do to one another, build one another up in the faith, but it also helps us workshop our testimony. You know, what are the things that are, that are helpful? What are the things that can be cut, shortened, can be the elements to emphasize? Like, is Jesus and your allegiance to him, is that kind of center to what's going on? The forgiveness and life that's found in him, is that kind of really evident? Is your testimony giving more glory to you or is it giving it more to Jesus? When you tell it with others, you can help workshop it and bring it to life more and more. And then pray for opportunities to share it, to share it with, with people who don't know Jesus yet. Well, that's ultimately the beautiful thing about having a testimony. It's your story. You own it. God has blessed you with it. You share it with others. Pray. Now, I'm sure you have lots of Christian, uh, people who aren't Christians uh, in your friendship circles that they might know you're a Christian, which is a wonderful thing, but they haven't heard your story. I pray that you can share your story. I certainly know I've got plenty of friends who you know, know I'm a pastor, I've chatted about spiritual things, but I haven't really, perhaps thought about sharing my story with them, but that's a really wonderful and powerful way we can share the gospel and certainly not waste our shot uh, when it comes to being a witness for him. Ask for the Holy Spirit to give you confidence, to give you boldness, to give you courage, and that he will do the rest in the other person's heart. Now, having said all that, uh, and the power of testimonies, they're not always going to bring people to faith. In here, uh, in this story, it just made them really angry. Uh, just got them all hot, hot steam again, shouting and screaming. Uh, verse 23, 24, they're saying, rid the earth of him, uh, he's not fit to live. Like That's pretty uh, intense kind of stuff. I know that's not a great advertisement at all for giving a testimony. Um, but they're actually angry about the message. They're angry at Jesus. They're angry that he claims to be God and Paul is sending out his message. That's what they're angry about, they're challenging their religious, their cultural views. Again, the Romans, they pick him up, they carry him away, take him to safety. The Romans, they're the heroes again in this case. But they're not all that friendly. They then decide they want to interrogate him. Now, the Roman way of interrogation is to get out a big whip with shards of metal in it and bone and use that to make people say stuff, what they did to our Lord Jesus. That's what they're going to do to Paul. Now, Paul wants to be an imitator of Christ. In other parts, he talks about the fact that he wants to suffer for him. But Paul doesn't want to suffer for Christ just for the sake of suffering. He doesn't advocate for that. So he pulls out his trump card. I'm born a Roman citizen. If you look at verses 25, 29, like that's a big shock to the Romans. They're very surprised by that kind of thing. Um, and being a Roman citizen comes with a bunch of privileges. One privilege being you're not allowed to be whipped like that with that kind of flogging. That's obviously of uh, particular interest to Paul. But he's also... <laughs> I think Paul had that in mind. Huh? Um, but it also means that he has privileges when it comes to having a fair trial when it comes to uh, ensuring that justice is done because they've got to protect him now because he's one of them. And it's an important piece in terms of the narrative and it kind of shapes the rest of what's going to happen. The fact that Paul is a Roman citizen means that he's going to get an armoured escort out of Jerusalem. 
It means that he's going to get a somewhat fair trial. It means that he's going to get an all-expenses-paid trip through to Rome, even if it's as, as a prisoner. So Paul, he's not interested in suffering for suffering's sake. And he will use the legal system of the day in order to achieve his purposes. Now, the citizen card only gets Paul so far. And it certainly doesn't get him out of the woods. Because when you have a look at the start of chapter 23, the Romans still want to know what all the fuss is about. And they want to call in the Jewish leaders. Call in the head honchos to find out what is all this business that's going on. Paul was incredibly faithful in that storm of the rioting mob. Now he's called to be faithful in front of the Jewish leaders. And this is kind of the first of what will be several trials that's going to happen uh, for the next couple of chapters in Acts. Now we're not going to explore this uh, too much. In many ways, it's just a bit of a verbal scuffle, which turns into a violent scuffle. The Romans, again, have to pick Paul up and take him out of there. Uh, But there's one verse in particular which I think is worth us dwelling on, which is verse 6. It says, Then Paul, knowing that some were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin is like what the group of leaders are called. My brothers, I am a Pharisee, descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. You see what Paul did there? He did two things worth noting. Firstly, he points out the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is he believes in the resurrection of the dead. And we know from looking through all the rest of the Acts, that's all because Jesus died and then rose again. That is the central event. That is what Christianity bases its convictions on. And then those that are in Christ will also be raised on the final day. And so that's just a great encouragement to us to remember Jesus' death and his resurrection, that's a set of thing to our faith. It's our primary witness. Our King Jesus died, he rose again, and he brings new life. And secondly, his testimony here is very similar to what he did with the mob. He says, I'm one of you. Now, he has a different tactic this time. He goes on the fact that I'm a Pharisee. In fact, my dad was a Pharisee. I'm descended from them. I'm one of you guys. Like what he says in Corinthians, like, I'm a Jew to win the Jews. To the Romans, he pulled out his Roman citizenship card. To the Romans, he's a Roman. And then to the Pharisees of the Sanhedrin, he's Pharisee. And he's not changing his identity. He's just drawing out particular things of his identity, which are going to resonate. He always has the same goal in mind, but he changes tactics depending on who he's talking to. At every opportunity, he's trying to draw in the commonalities that he can draw in between himself and those he's speaking to so that he says, so that he can do what he says in 1 Corinthians 9, that by all possible means he might save some. He's not changing his identity, but he's looking to see how he can have different tactics in order to compellingly share the gospel. Paul did it by changing language at the beginning of this section, Greek to Aramaic. Uh, He's done it kind of as like the hallmark of his missionary experience throughout Acts. To the Jews, he's reasoning from the scriptures. To the Greeks in Athens, he's using their their culture and their their idols there to talk to them about Jesus. 
like our missionary partners here, like that video before of the Aboriginal people who were singing the story and living out the story of the gospel in a way that made sense to them in their culture, the truth of the gospel in their context. Jit and Jan, how they're sharing the gospel amongst the Thai people, the truth of the gospel in the Thai context. So it makes sense to them and is compelling to them. Like for most of our friends, like we know them well. And we have to do then the hard work that our missionary brothers and sisters are teaching us and like dissecting that culture, thinking about how is it that the gospel is going to most impact these people? How is it the gospel is going to most impact our friends? How can we share it in a way which is compelling? Never diluting the truth, never doing that, but sharing it in a way which is going to make sense to them. We're going to have to change tactics depending on who we're talking to. Now, that can sound fake. It can sound manipulative or sneaky. But I think it's just not wasting our shot to do everything we can to simply and compellingly share the gospel of the Lord Jesus in a way that our friends will understand. Because that's what we want to see, right? We want to see people confronted with the Lord Jesus, see his beauty, his grace, his love, and bow the knee to him and have life as a result. It's like our, our teacher friends, right? They're doing this all the time. When, they, when you wanna, you're a teacher and you want to teach a kid mass, student Fatima is going to learn it really differently to student Sebastian. The way that they understand mass is going to be different, and our teachers are wonderful at tailoring the way that they teach mass depending on who they're talking to. We too in our relationship should change our strategies and our tactics to be intentional when we share the gospel. So whatever sphere of influence we find ourselves in, we are all in different spheres of influence, which is a wonderful thing. Let's have the attitude of not wanting to throw away our shot by using whatever means possible we can to share the truth and the beauty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Like Paul, one fantastic way can be to share your testimony. But we should always be intentional about changing our tactics so that we can share the gospel in ways which are culturally effective. At every opportunity, we have the incredible privilege and indeed the responsibility to faithfully spread the message of love and of the Lordship of Jesus. Now at the end of this passage, in verse 11, Paul says to take courage. To do these things, to share our testimony, to be careful in how we change our tactics to be truthful in hard in easy in whatever circumstance we find we certainly need prayer so let me pray our good and gracious god father we i pray for us and especially including myself that you give us courage give us great courage to share your message of hope your message of love your message that we need to repent and have faith in the lord jesus Father, give us wisdom as we share. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you go before us and convict the hearts of our our friends and our family and our neighbours so that they can know the life and the hope that is found in you. Please use us as as your vessels to do that. And we pray for our missionary brothers and sisters across the world that they too can be effective in the way that they share the wonderful message of the Lord Jesus. 
And we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. And in his name we ask. Amen.